Hello, my friends. Hello. Welcome to Sports with Chris Rawl. I am Chris Rawl, and I will be talking about sports. On today's show, the change that occurs within the weeks of a football season, from growth to decay to transformation. Change occurs in the blink of an eye. Now, this is noticeable in some ways. I see it reflected in the place I grew up in, Spanish Fork, Utah, in the place that I continue to live. When I was young, this was a very small and what I would call podunk place. And I love that about it. There was not a lot of people. And the people that were there wore giant belt buckles and chewed tobacco and had cowboy hats. It was super cool. I didn't do any of those things, but I realized how cool it was at the time. And over the course of the last few decades, and really within the last decade itself, change has occurred within this particular geographical location. There's been a lot of houses built. There have been a lot of people who are now here, and they're everywhere. And and the dreaded middle class has swamped in, and they set up their Costco, and now I walk around and see all these people eating $1.50 wieners in front of me, and that's what Spanish Fork has become. It's noticeable, the change that has occurred within this place. I see it reflected in... People around me, it could be the aging of my nieces and nephews who live on the other side of this country. So when I see them every three months or six months or however long it is, every single time without fail, they seem like completely different people. They seem like they've got new ideas and thoughts and now they love birds and now one of them wants to talk about aliens and their existence and what's going on. It's a very strange thing for me to be a part of because I go, what happened? Three months ago, you couldn't even barely speak, and now I got to theorize about extraterrestrial life? What is this? I see it reflected in the kids of friends who I live around. Those I obviously see a little bit more because I live here. But I'll go a month without seeing one, and then I see it, and I go, what happened? A month ago, this was a nobody. It was just a blob who sat there in a baby carriage, and now it's... Somebody running around and screaming and saying words and it's got a personality. I don't know what to make sense of this. It's noticeable many times, this process of change. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it kind of happens on a level that's not as perceptible. And then you just go, oh, change has occurred. I think about that in my own life as a 35-year-old person. And I can't point to a specific moment, but just this gradual process that comes with aging where you wake up one day and you go, oh, My body is slightly more limited than it used to be, and it must be treated with greater care, something I didn't really ever think about when I was 24. And now I've got to be a lot more cognizant on the physical activities that I do, how I do them, and just the general maintenance that goes into an aging body. It's inevitable. All of this change itself threaded throughout every single facet of life. Reminds me of a quote from one of my favorite television shows of all time, Breaking Bad, about a nerdy chemistry teacher who becomes a meth kingpin named Walter White. And the show is a great examination of change that's established in the very first episode. As Walter White is the nerdy chemistry teacher at the time, and he gets up in front of his class, and he says this, Chemistry is the study of matter, but I prefer to see it as the study of change. It's growth, then decay, then transformation, end quote. Again, change is inevitable in every facet of life, including chemistry. Remember taking chemistry in high school. 
And, and I enjoyed it in a way that partially is because I'm a nerd, but partially is because of this idea. Maybe I couldn't verbalize it at the time, but it's the examination of change, the study of change. What elements are and what they can become. Is it combining these two specific things and it's a brilliant burst of flame in the air? Is it a combining these two elements and it turns into a giant fizzling volcano and it's spurting out everywhere? Or is it just you combine these two things and there's just a little pop and a poof and then nothing occurs and you're disappointed? Any of these things and everything in between. That's chemistry. That's any experience within life as it applies to change. Now, every football season, same concept. Following this arc. Growth, decay, transformation, the arc of change. In the moment, inevitably, we overreact to everything. That's kind of the way that sports are covered. That's the way that you have to kind of uh, make sense of what is in front of you if you're trying to project to the future, as I like to and need to do as somebody who gambles on this stuff. But for the vast majority of things, really the, the only way that we are able to truly understand the transformation is separation of time. And in retrospect, we can look back and go, oh, I understand. This was a point of growth. This was a point of decay. And ultimately, this is what the transformation was. Could be good, could be bad, but I understand what occurred here. It's very hard to do that as it's happening. But with the separation of time, we can start to make sense of things. I've been thinking about the college football playoff committee for the last two weeks. It's been it's a dark cloud hovering over my existence. It is not a group of people that I like. It is not a group of people that I believe serves the best interests of a sport that I enjoy. It's not a group of people that I believe goes about their business in a fair and just manner. Now, one of the talking points that they have every Tuesday night when the rankings are released, they place importance on Top 25 wins. And imagine me saying that in air quotes with my face, uh, just making the googly-eyed motion of, yeah, okay, right, top 25 wins, sure. Now, this is a strange concept to me because first and foremost, top 25 wins, they change every week. It's a constant shuffle. Year in, year out. So one week, it's really important you beat this team. The next week, it's not. Or now it's really important that you beat this team. And last week, it wasn't. I can't make sense of it. I don't believe they can make sense of it. I think it's just one of the ways they try to manufacture logic out of thin air in order to support what they want to happen. It's also weird because the college football playoff committee, they're the ones who select the top 25, (laughs) which is very strange. It's strange because it's an arbitrary cutoff number. 25 teams. Uh, Okay, so... Beating the 25th ranked team, a team that you ranked there, somehow holds great importance in a way that beating the 26th best team that you put there does not. That's something you can point to. Every single week, without fail, this team has three top 25 wins. That's why we felt justified in putting them at position X. I always hear it and say, you rank these teams. You idiots. Stop talking to me about this. Why do you always have a continental breakfast when you're determining who should be playing for the national title? Just take a break from it for a second. Put down the plate of bacon and think for five seconds. It's just the way that the college football playoff committee has chosen to go about their business. I have been very pessimistic on their ability to change, as I've spoken to on this show. I hope that I'm wrong there, but I do not feel like 
I will be. Now, when we're talking about top 25 wins and the concept of it, and the way that it has really entered the discourse for the determination of who should be the four teams playing for the national title, I find it interesting when we zoom out a little bit more. Ingrained into this show is the examination of the margins, the things that decide who wins and who loses. I talk about that constantly. It's the most interesting facet of the game itself, in my opinion. It's the craziness that determines the outcome of a game. So when you're zooming out and understanding top 25 wins and you're understanding that the college football playoff committee ranks these teams in pretty binary terms based upon wins and losses within Power 5 conferences, and then you think about, well, what actually went into these games? I think about one particular moment from Saturday as a really uh, revelatory examination of change and how it applies to a game and how it applies to this concept of top 25 wins and how that applies to determination of the four teams that the committee believes should be playing for the national championship. Iowa State plays at Texas Tech on Saturday. It's a game that really shouldn't register on most people's radars. Iowa State, they're floating around that top 25. They're on the road as 10 and a half point favorites. Texas Tech, they storm out to a giant lead. Iowa State comes storming back. It's a tie game. Tex Tex lining up for a 62-yard field goal at the buzzer that can win it if they miss, which seems inevitable. Then they will go to overtime and things will be decided there. Now, things can change in the blink of an eye. I want everybody to remember that. I will repeatedly reference it throughout the show. If you follow college kickers at all, and as a person who has watched Nebraska try and place kick this entire year, I say this with full understanding. College kickers are not good at their craft. And getting them to kick a 25-yard field goal seems like an uphill battle. Ask Tulane as they're trying to win the game against Tulsa on Saturday, and they shank it and go and lose in overtime. So a college kicker lining up for a 62-yard field goal that can win, it seems about as likely as me being able to throw the ball to the moon. That's how I felt when it was going to happen. And yet, the ball's in the air, and it looks drilled, and it's online, and then it's going through the uprights, and holy cow, did this guy really just make a 62-yard field goal to win? Yep, he did. So Texas Tech is celebrating and Iowa State's going off the field. And again, it's just a game that's on the fringes and you won't necessarily think about as much. But I thought about for the purposes of this show and just how this process of change and everything that occurs, it really ties into, everything ties into it the next. So Iowa State, which is possibly a top 25 win for somebody if they take care of their business against certain teams like Texas Tech. That ball goes through. 62-yard field goal to win. And now they don't have that top 25 win potential as much heading into next week, heading into the weeks beyond when they're going to be playing against Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's trying to resurrect their playoff hopes and say maybe if we're a 12-1 and Big 12 champion, the playoff committee will put us in. But we need some of those top 25 wins. All this stuff threads together. Change occurring in the blink of an eye could be a 62-yard field goal going through the uprights and the trickle-down effect that something like that has. Or it can be on a larger scale. Uh, the scale of a program, maybe. The story of Saturday to me, personally, was the Texas Longhorns against the Kansas Jayhawks. Never in a million years <laughs> would I have expected that to be the game that I most gravitated towards on Saturday. And the one that leaving 
most reminded me of what I love about college football. You don't know what is going to be the story going into the day, and yet when it hits you over the head, you understand. It's part of what I'm fearful might be weeded out of the sport as the playoff expands, and it becomes more about just who is getting in the playoff and who is not. You don't have these strange fringe stories that sweep you off your feet and overtake a Saturday that have nothing to do whatsoever with a national title race or even a conference title race. It's a process of change and how inevitable it is. You can ask the Texas Longhorns. I love doing the pause button and saying, if you paused at this particular moment in time and just asked around, including myself, what are your opinions? What are your thoughts based on the information you have? What do you think the trajectory of this program, of this team, of this coach is? I love doing that because it's always revelatory in how quickly this kind of stuff changes. Again, blink of an eye stuff. If you go back month and change ago to the Red River rivalry, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas four and one going into that game. And if you press the pause button at halftime, they're up on Oklahoma 38 to 20. General consensus, and I will throw myself into the general consensus was, man, Texas looks like they have something and it looks like Sarkeesian is the offensive mastermind that was promised. That stuff that he was pulling out last year with Alabama, one of the most explosive offenses we've ever seen. Maybe some of that was him. And maybe he learned from those past coaching stops at Washington and USC. And now he's better positioned to take a big-time program back to their glory years and days. That was the feeling at halftime of that game. Just take care of business in the second half. You're on pace to score 76, so just do it. And you'll be 5-1, and one, and you'll be in the top 10, and the playoff committee will be touching themselves to the thought and sight of Texas in a top 10, and they'll do everything in their power to give you every tw- top 25 win you need in order to get you into the playoff if you continue to win. That's what occurred a month and change ago. And then let's just talk about where we are today off of Saturday. Where one and eight Kansas comes in to Austin, Texas. Kansas Jayhawks, <laughs> they are synonymous with the dregs of college football society. They have been so bad for so long that they just seem like an incredibly hopeless program. It's been the case for 100 years. There was a brief blip on the radar with Glenn Mason there in the 90s. There was a brief one-year blip with Mark Mangino there about 15 years ago, Todd Reesing. Other than that, all I've ever known of Kansas is decrepit football. It's all we've ever known. Just fast forward to basketball season. Kansas comes in to Austin, Texas, and they end up, pushing Texas to the brink. Then Texas comes back, and now it's going into overtime. And Kansas has a two-point conversion for the win. They go for it, and they win. Now Texas has lost five straight games on the hills of that Kansas loss. It's the first time that's occurred in 65 years. Texas Longhorns, who a month and change ago were 4-1 and and leading Oklahoma 38-20 at halftime. Texas Longhorns are now 4-6. and They just lost to the Kansas Jayhawks. Kansas had not won a conference road game since 2008. That's a 56-game losing streak on the road in conference. Incomprehensible stats. 
to paint a picture of just how garbage of a football team this Kansas Jayhawks program is. Throughout all of time. It's the first time ever that Kansas has won in Austin. First time in the history of their program. The history of these two programs. Change is inevitable. So now Texas is somehow sitting at another crossroads moment in the first year of Steve Sarkeesian after they just spent $24 million to buy out Tom Herman at the end of last season. I mean, how many times can this occur at programs that just seem like it's impossible to fail at? And yet somehow it keeps happening. This process of change that just Sometimes it happens so fast it takes your breath away. And it looks like Texas is going to be back. How many times have we heard that particular statement? Texas is back because of this win or this whatever. And then a year later, they're buying out their coach and they're spending a whole other grundle of money and they're getting the next one who's the hot coordinator, hot coaching candidate for whatever reason. And then they're following somehow a similar process right now. Go to the East Coast. And another game that ended up taking over a large part of my Saturday in a way that I never in a million years would have predicted was Florida against the 4-5 and five Samford Bulldogs. Yes, you heard that correct. It's an FCS team. You don't need to know about them. That's the point. That is the point. It was the first ever Florida opponent to score 42 points and a half. Samford did that in the first half. They were leading. They had scored 42 points in the first half of that game. Now Florida comes back and wins. That's not even relevant. Because with that win, Florida sits at 5-5. Five and five. And if you want to go back and press the pause button as we, tr- as we attempt to kind of trace the arc of change and how it is occurring and make sense of this process of growth and decay and transformation and where those points actually are at, there's two that I really like to look at. Pause button. Go back to the end of last year's SEC championship game. Florida loses to Alabama. Hard-fought game. Lose by seven. Offensive shootout. Felt really good about it. They got Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts, two first-rounders. Kyle Trask under center, another person who's drafted now, backing up Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Just seemed like a program on the rise. Dan Mullen, man, what a great coach. He has had success at Mississippi State, a place that's hard to win. Now he's come to Florida, and, and he's just they're better positioned to win, and so now that's what he's doing. You know, this is great. Even if you go into September of this year, two months ago, less than two months ago, actually, you press the pause button at the end of this year's Alabama game. How far-fetched would this current situation seem? Florida sitting at 5-5. Five and five. Dan Mullen seems like it is inevitable that he will not return at the end of this season. And yet, you go back to that Alabama game and Florida runs for 200-plus yards against Alabama. They have a two-point conversion at the end that could have tied and send it overtime. They don't get it, but... General sentiment coming out was similar to the end of the SEC title game. Man, it's a team on the rise. They just took Alabama, the, the standard that everybody wants to measure themselves against. They just took them to the ropes again for the second time in less than a calendar year. And you fast forward to present day and you talk about the process of change and you go, man, that is crazy that we are now sitting on a 5-5 five and five Florida Gator record. And Dan Mullen looks like he's going to be fired. Growth, decay, transformation. You never know 
how some of this stuff is going to react. You go back to the chemistry of uh, the, the chemistry and the study of matter, the study of change. Now, we now know, because chemists have done this for a long time, how certain elements react with one another. It's a lot less exact of a science as it pertains to life in many ways and as it pertains to football specifically and tracing the arc of change throughout a season and understanding what's going to occur here. Is it going to be that brilliant fireball that comes out? Is it the explosion, the volcano, or is it just the blech, just the little gurgle and silence? What is going to occur? UCLA, I think of that program. And I think about a specific moment at the start of this season. They beat Hawaii week zero, and they're playing against UCLA, or they're playing against the LSU Tigers. Big game, they're hosting them. Oh man, it's a big chance for Chip Kelly in this program to put their stamp and say, we're ready, we're, we're coming for everybody. And they physically dominate LSU. They run them right off the field. And it spoke to that promise that people who believe in Chip Kelly and people who believe that UCLA is just a dormant program lying, ready to be resurrected, it spoke to that specific thing. Maybe, possibly, happening. It wasn't just they beat LSU. It was the way that they beat them. LSU, a team that is known for talent and physical dominance, they were physically dominated by UCLA, team associated with West Coast football, and they just want to pitter-patter around. That wasn't the way that game played out. And now, fast forward into present day. And UCLA, they haven't flamed out as spectacularly as Texas has or Florida has. But maybe they're that reaction that we're watching where it's just the it's just the gurgle and just, oh, all right. They're sitting at six and four. All right, sure, fine, whatever. They've lost to Fresno. They've lost to Oregon, Arizona State, Utah. They just had a comeback victory over Colorado on Saturday. My feelings toward them are just kind of tepid. Just, ah, all right, yeah, move along. I don't know. Fine, sure. And sometimes that's the way that change occurs within a season. Uh, it's not always as brilliant or as earth-shattering as these highs and lows. Where Georgia's on the high end of the spectrum going, man, I can't believe they're this dominant. And teams like Florida and Texas, they're on the other side going, I can't believe they have pooped their pants this spectacularly. A lot of other teams are somewhere in between. UCLA, they are one of those teams. Chip Kelly is a coach of that team, and you're trying to understand, do we want him back? Is this the coach for our future? We don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to make sense of it. Texas A&M, they had the game of the season. I think about their quarterback specifically, actually, because I was texting about him on Saturday night as I was watching Ole Miss Texas A&M. Zach Calzada is his name. Um, he came in earlier this season. Haynes King was their starter. He got injured at Colorado and Zach Calzada is inserted into this game. He looked so unprepared for the moment. I can't even describe it. A&M ends up winning 10-7. They couldn't move the ball whatsoever. It was the biggest bar fest of a game. Who cares? Uh, they come back and they play Arkansas and Arkansas runs them right off the field and Calzada looks just as unprepared and I'm going, yeah, maybe this dude just doesn't, you know, <laughs> maybe you need to find another option here. I get the Haynes Kings injured, but there's got to be somebody on your roster who can do more than this fella. So Alabama comes along, and A&M's hosting them at home, and they're huge underdogs, nearly 20 points. 
just seemed like one of those sacrificial lamb style of games where Alabama guts it on the table and we all have to watch and go, ugh, this is a little distasteful. And instead, Zach Calzada throws for 285 yards and three touchdowns. Plays the game of his life up until that point. Engineers an upset win where he has a game-tying drive in the last half of the fourth and a game-winning drive at the very end of the fourth. Uh, and if you just paused it at that moment in time, I go, maybe things are clicking. This dude's young, you know, he's right at the start of his career. Could just be he needed some time to settle it. And then Saturday's happening, and he's struggling mightily against Ole Miss in a loss. He's throwing two interceptions at the end of the game that just completely hamstring A&M's chances of winning, including the game-sealing pick six at the end of the game. And I'm looking back on what has occurred this season and trying to make sense of it. And I think of Nick Foles. I go, maybe this is just one of those things that you cannot explain. Nick Foles, for whatever reason, he caught lightning in a bottle for a three-week stretch. So unexplainable going in, it's so much more unexplainable going out. With separation of time. He played the two best games of his life in the NFC title game against the Vikings and against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Out of his mind. Not like, oh, he was the quarterback of a team that won. He went out of his mind. He was the reason his team won. He looked like Aaron Rodgers for two games. And then before that, he was just a total nobody. And after that, he was just a total nobody. Sometimes that's what this arc is. Uh, I think maybe we always think that a moment of brilliance speaks to the ability to maybe harness that consistently. That's not the case for almost anybody. That's a really hard thing to do. I struggle with that in my own life. I think about it all the time within my own life and how it pertains to my golf game, the thing that I'm most passionate about. And the moments of brilliance for me, I go, how can I not channel this more consistently? And it's just because consistency is the hardest thing to do. It just is. In anything that you do. That's what separates the best from everybody else. That's what separates Aaron Rodgers from Nick Foles. Uh, Aaron Rodgers can do it all the time what maybe separates Zach Calzada from everybody else on, on maybe the bad side because his one moment of brilliance it, I was thinking maybe this speaks to something bigger and the more information we're getting maybe it doesn't you never know maybe he comes roaring back and he has a great career and he goes to the NFL I don't know I mean I could talk about this stuff for days because I, I find it to be fascinating I find it to be fascinating how quickly change occurs. I find it fascinating how we are so set in stone in the moment about this team being good, this team being bad, this coach being good, this coach being bad. Players all go down the list of everybody. And then a month later, we'll just turn around and say the exact opposite and sometimes not even acknowledge it. That's why I usually take a more measured approach in the moment and go, this is what occurred. What it means, I usually don't have any idea. Most times I will say, I, I'm not going to panic and I just want to see more. <laughs> it's a cop out. It, it's, it does not fit well in the way that uh, hot takes have really permeated the way that sports are consumed. 
but it's just it's the thing that I like, a more measured approach. Penn State and James Franklin, how about that? They open the season with wins against Wisconsin and Auburn. Future looks very bright. I'm part of the crowd who believes that. Their defense looks awesome. Their offense looks like it has enough pop. And I go, this could be a team that throws their hat into the national title ring, Big Ten title ring, Big Ten East title ring. Now the losses have piled up. They've lost to Michigan, Ohio State, true bar fest against Illinois, loss against Iowa when Sean Clifford goes down. Uh, James Franklin, he looks like he's ready to bolt to USC or LSU at season's end. That seems inevitable. Penn State fans, they don't seem that particularly upset about it. And it's really hard to make sense of anything that goes into Penn State as a program, what their expectations are moving forward, whether or not James Franklin is a good coach. I know he recruits very well. I know that he's had a lot of bright moments at Penn State. It just kind of depends. What is your expectation of programs? What is your expectation of coaches? I don't know. That's up to each person to decide. Part of the process of change and how it relates to football that I find to be immensely fascinating and sometimes frustrating if I get sucked into the gambling side of it. Even the things that we believe to be reliable and constant, sooner or later, they are not that. It's just the way that life works. Change is inevitable. Now, one of the most reliable constants in college football over the last half decade has been the Oklahoma Sooners offense. They're burning everybody to the ground with Baker Mayfield. Same thing with Kyler Murray. Same thing with Jalen Hurts. Lincoln Riley's there pulling the levers at the Helm just engineering all these offenses that are scoring 50 against anybody who gets put in front of them. It's been one of the most reliable constants in the sport since Lincoln Riley took over there. So that's one of the things going into the season that I'm just checking off and I go, I'm not really going to think about that because why would I? It's reliable. It's constant. And in a sport that has very few of those, I'm going to trust in the few that I think are there. Alabama, they'll be good. Clemson, they'll be good. That's proven to be false. Another great indicator that maybe nothing's as constant as we think. And the Oklahoma Sooners offense is going to be explosive. Somehow, someway, something has changed this season. Spencer Rattler, he's the Heisman favorite coming into this year. And he struggles immensely. The Oklahoma Sooners offense struggles immensely. They're just duffing around in these games. They're winning them, but in very close, hard-fought games, and they're not playing well on offense. He's benched in the Texas game for Caleb Williams. They explode in that second half. Turning point of the season for Texas. Maybe some people thought was a turning point of the season for Oklahoma. Now, the offense is going to be in place that was promised. Explosion. Passing, running, 600 yards, 50 points. The Oklahoma offense that we know, the constant, it's finally back. It was just a quarterback issue. That's proven to not be the case. They flub around the first half against Kansas. They have zero points on the board. They don't have 100 yards of offense. They come back. They're in a dogfight in the second half. They barely squeak it out on an incredible fourth down play by Caleb Williams where he steals the ball from his own tailback who's getting stuffed on a fourth and one behind the line. And that ends up being the margin of victory in that game. Saturday, things come to a head and they can't hold on forever and they lose to Baylor. Game that Baylor controlled throughout. They win 27-14. 
Now the Oklahoma Sooners have a loss on their resume and it has thrown their national title hopes, their ability to try and enter into the four spot or the three spot or the two spot. It's thrown that into great doubt. Caleb Williams, yeah, he, he gets his hand stepped on in that game at some point. Maybe that hurt, maybe that didn't. I don't, I'm, I'm sure it hurt physically, but maybe that hurt the way their offense functioned. I don't know. Even before that, they were atrocious. Um, Spencer Adler is inserted at one point. He's, they don't do well with him. They go back to Caleb Williams. They don't do well. They can't move the ball. They score 14 points. They lose. That's the end of the story. Growth, decay, transformation. The NFL is a sport where change happens on a week-to-week basis. How else do you explain these weekly results that we're getting? How do you make sense of them in the moment? It is almost impossible to do. You need the scope of the season to make sense of the vast majority of this. And even with it, and you go back and understand what went into these games, you understand, man, the margins in this sport are so tiny that this team easily could have been 10-6 and six instead of 6-10 and 10 and vice versa and go down the list. And man, all these teams are probably pretty good and pretty bad in equal ways. You want to talk about constants and just the inability to have even anything be reliable in the sport. Kansas City Chiefs, top of the list. I spoke about them last week. I'll speak about them a little bit more because we have one more data point in this process of change and as we try to make sense of what's going on. Is it growth? Is it decay? Is this the process of transformation? Where are we at right now? The Chiefs, they were the constant in my mind coming into the season. I know they're going to be good on offense. I know they're going to win games. I know Patrick Mahomes is going to be good. That has not proven to be the case this year. They have not been explosive. They have not been good on offense. They have struggled mightily. They have lost a bunch of games. They were lucky that Jordan Love was playing two weeks ago or they would have another loss on their record. And they go into the Raiders stadium uh, on Sunday night. I bet the Raiders plus two and a half. Because I'm just, I, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen anything from this Chiefs team. And they explode. Over 500 yards of offense. Mahomes over 400 yards passing. He throws for five touchdowns. It's the Chiefs that were promised. 41 points on the board. Win going away. Who knows what it means? I mean, it could be the game that reels back in the doubters. It could be a momentary blip and they go back to the struggles that they were having the two months prior. Turnovers, inability to create chunk plays. Defense just starts flubbing around again. I don't know. Who knows? It is why I believe this sport to be the most fascinating to follow. Because anything seems possible on a week-to-week basis. Uh, The Bills could lose to the Jaguars two weeks ago. The Buccaneers could lose to the Washington football team on Sunday. We've had a million of these upsets within the last few weeks. Uh, The Jets and Mike White beating the Bengals. Go down the list. That's why I find it to be the most fascinating sport to follow. Anything seems possible in the moment. And this process of change, it's continually occurring. And it makes for really interesting thought and, and food for thought. Just the way that you consume it and think about it, and try to project. Two teams in the AFC after this week. They're the two teams that I think will be celebrated as, man, these two are coming on strong. Right at the top of the list is the New England Patriots. 
pound on Cleveland Browns. You're tracing the arc of their season. Start of it was just a flubbing around. It was the chemical reaction that gurgled. Bleh. And then, all right, they're fine. No, they're not. Maybe they're just flubbing around in these games. And they found a way to lose to the Dolphins, which in retrospect looks atrocious because the Dolphins are very bad. And oh, they found a way to lose that Tampa Bay game on Sunday night. And they probably should have won. What was Belichick doing at the end? Why was he kicking that field goal? And now it seems like they're finding more of a groove. Playing the defense, we know they have mastered under Belichick when they have all their players, unlike last year. And Mac Jones and the offense, they're finding a little bit of groove. Ramondre Stevenson's coming out. and They just look like a football team that can hurt you in various ways. They pound on the Browns. Now they're the toast of the town. Will that continue? I don't know. I know the AFC is wide open. And somebody's going to have to claim it. Right at the top of that conference is the Tennessee Titans. How quickly things change for them. <laughs> Start of the season, they're just duffing it around. They have to win a miracle at Seattle. They're storming back. They win in overtime. A million things go into that win. And they're losing to the Jets. And I'm just watching them going, I don't think this team's very good. Then they win some games. And then Derrick Hendry gets injured. And I go, well, now they really are going to have to fold because... He's got to be the most important non-quarterback that an offense has. He's just the lifeblood of their offense. And they've played two games without him now on the road against the Rams last week. NFC favorites are on the short list of that. And they beat them. And then they play the Saints at home on Sunday and they beat them. Now they're sitting there at 8-2 and two and they're the number one seed in the AFC. How quickly things change. You want to talk about change and the way the opinion can just fly from opposite ends of the spectrum one week to the next and i say this for myself i I don't say this to cast judgment or dispersion i say i do it too i look at the afc north a division that has four teams that i've probably thought extreme things about five different times this year and five different times this year as well on the other side of the spectrum The Cleveland Browns, I swear I've thought they're awesome three weeks and they're the worst team in football three weeks and somewhere between the other weeks. The Cincinnati Bengals, I have felt the same way. Pittsburgh Steelers, it seems like every game, regardless of who is under center, Mason Rudolph or Ben Roethlisberger, it's going to be the same game. Their quarterback is going to do 10 dumb things. Their defense is going to play really well and make five awesome plays and keep them in the game. And it's going to be 16 to 16, and whoever kicks the field goal at the end is going to win. Or, as is the case on Sunday, if most people don't know that you can tie if you're tied after overtime, well, then you'll just tie the Lions at 16 all and look like a bunch of shitheads. Baltimore Ravens. One of the constants with Jim Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson, and even them, they've fluctuated. Because it seems like they were stabilizing and riding the ship after a, a rough start to the season. Big turnaround win against Kansas City in a game that was a great examination of the margins. And they're playing Thursday night on the road against Miami. And it's just, they don't exist in the NFL, but it seemed like more of a sacrificial lamb game. Miami is so bad. They're one of the few teams that puts my love for football and the ability to watch anybody anytime to the test. Because when I put them on the TV, oh man, it can be a struggle. Now Thursday night, I know what I'm getting into. So I put the... I put the bib on my shirt that's going to catch any 
bodily fluids that will be excreted by me in these Thursday night barf fests. And I go, let's do it. Let's watch the Ravens beat them 31 to 0. Opposite happens. Miami controls the game. Their defense is phenomenal. A defense that has been atrocious all year. They completely neuter the Baltimore Ravens passing attack, their running attack. Lamar can't do anything. And Miami wins going away. Change, man. It's just, it's always there. It's always occurring. And it's there in a blink of an eye. The last team I'll mention is my own. Green Bay Packers. Uh, Go back to the start of the season. And they're playing the Saints week one. They get thrashed. They are atrocious in every facet of the game. Special teams, offense, defense, coaching, you name it. I felt like I performed badly as a fan because that's how poor this performance was. I felt like I had something that I did wrong that day. Now, coverage coming out of it, it follows similar pattern, which again, I, I don't necessarily fault everybody for, but I think it just it shows a, a stunning lack of understanding or maybe willing, unwillingness to acknowledge the understanding that, hey man, this stuff changes and it changes really fast. Sometimes this speaks to a larger issue and sometimes it's just a blip on the radar. So the coverage coming out of that week one Saints game, the sky is falling. I listen to it, read about it, and everybody's theorizing on, well, this Aaron Rodgers offseason drama, maybe it's just too much and the, and the team maybe hates him and maybe he hates the team and he's submarine this season and man, they're just, maybe they just got bad mojo and oh, they could be atrocious this year. Is that possible? There's all sorts of things getting thrown out there. Now, I recorded a show after that game and I said, uh, I'm not going to overreact or even think about this game at all because Packers do this sometimes. Every team does this sometimes. It's the nature of the sport. Some weeks you're just not up for it for whatever reason. Even the best teams do it. And the Packers have done this multiple times per year under Matt LaFleur, and I'm just going to trust this is one of those times. And I'll trust in the the process that Green Bay has followed under Matt LaFleur. And and that's what's occurred. You know, Green Bay is now 8-2 and two after a shutout win over the Seahawks on Sunday. They would be 9-1 and one if Aaron Rodgers... Uh, was not forced to sit out the Kansas City Chiefs game two weeks prior. Now, still within the framework of that season, change is occurring at rapid rates. Now, to Green Bay's credit, and a reason that I do believe them to be a Super Bowl contender, they are manufacturing ways to win. It's not the same way every week. This week, it was defense. They've had great offensive games. They've had games where Corey Bohork was their punter. Is, he's the MVP of the game. They've had great coaching games. They've, they've found ways to win in a year that everybody seemingly is injured. That is the way that change has really affected Green Bay constantly every single week. It's just a endless string of people who are out from the get-go and continuing into Sunday's game where Aaron Jones, one of their best players, goes down. They don't know how long he's out. It's talk of a sprained MCL. Rashawn Gary, their best current pass rusher, dude who's really been coming on. He gets his arm torqued who knows which way. I don't know how long he's going to be out. This is on top of what has occurred this season, where it seems like every single player at one point or another has been gone, some for longer than others. Rodgers, he's had to sit a game. Devontae Adams, he had to sit out the win against the Cardinals. David Bakhtiari, their best lineman, he's been out the whole season. Eldon Jenkins, their second best lineman, he's been out for the majority of their season. Now he's back. 
Their wide receivers at any given time, they've been gone. Valdez, Scantling, Lazard, all three of them, including Adams, were out for that Cardinals game. It was just a bunch of dudes off the street. And Randall Cobb, guy they traded for in the offseason because Aaron Rodgers wanted him to be there as his crony who he could hang out with on Friday nights and watch a movie with. The defense, it's been the same thing. Zadarius Smith, their pass rusher, best player or best pass rusher on their team. He's been gone for nearly the entire season. Jair Alexander, Pro Bowl cornerback. It's either him or Zadarius Smith is the best player on their defense. He's been out for the majority of the season. Just everybody has been gone. It's been a constant rotation at cornerback. With Alexander being out. Kevin King has been out. Eric Stokes has been out. There have been games, including that Cardinals game, where it was just a skeleton roster. There are games where they're literally pulling people off the streets and saying, hey, can you play cornerback? Well, you're starting on the outside. Go try and stop A.J. Green. Go and try and stop DeAndre Hopkins. And to Green Bay's credit, they found ways to win. Now, why I said after the week one loss, as ugly as it was, why I said, it's fine, relax, Let's watch for a few more weeks and we'll get a better grasp of, is that a blip or is it speaking to something larger? Why I said that is because I'm very adamant about this particular concept and its existence within football. Change is inevitable. It just is. It's it's a part of life. And within every single football season, it will occur. The ways that it will occur, you don't know. You only know them when when they happen. What it means, sometimes you know in the moment, and other times you don't know until the season is finished. But you know that change is inevitable. There will be growth, there will be decay, and ultimately, for good or for bad, there will be transformation. Transformation.